0: Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian, Colin Sheehan.
1: Colin, welcome back. Episode 42, PGA Championship Week. Looking forward to this. Man, I wish there was a Club Pro Championship that was played this year so I could add a chance to play, but... There are 20 club professionals playing in this PGA Championship, and we've got one of them on your doorstep today, Rob LeBritz, the director of golf at Glen Arbor Golf Club in Bedford Hills, New York, and we're going to get to his podcast in a moment, but let's put a little historical perspective on the PGA Championship for a moment. You've got some really cool nuggets, and I want you to dish them out.
0: Yeah, well, first, I just want to say this is something we all miss as golfers. The week of a major championship are just our attention to the golf media is turned up, the conversations you have, the excitement you get, the the previews. And by you just this is just I because I, this is a legitimate major. They've played enough professional golf. They've essentially had very, very effectively none and the players have had to sit out and, right. and this is, this is going to be a major and there's not going to be an asterisk on it. And, and so this is kind of fun. It's the PGA championship for the first time since 1971, 49 years has the PGA been the first major that year. It was played in February at PGA national in, in Palm beach gardens at the original location, which is now Ballon isle. Um, and Nicholas won. And then, uh, the only other year that three majors were played, the last time that happened, you'd have to go back 80 years, the year my dad was born, 1940. Wow. The 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 RNA, Britain was already out. They were already involved in the conflict, and and yet we had Jimmy DeMeritt win the Masters, and uh, the U.S. Open was at Canterbury, and Sam Sneed won his first PGA in a one-up pl- uh, match play against Sam Sneed and Hershey. How about that?
1: Yeah, let's go with that for a second. I would love... I think that they should alternate years or something and, and or at least every once every three years go to match play for the PGA championship. I mean, match play is so cool. It's so much fun to watch. We watch the NCAA. You think of the amateur game, right? And last week's guest, Ricky Castillo, and we talked about the Western Amateur and the US Amateur coming up and and you think of the amateur game and the, the majors in the amateur game all culminate in match play, the U.S. Amateur, now the NCAA is a match play finish. I mean, match play is just, from a viewer standpoint, so exciting. I guess maybe on the flip side, it's all the, the TV situation that, that gives the pushback there because you're not guaranteed the best players on the final day. And that's, the I guess, the only drawback. But, man, I love some match play.
0: Absolutely. By the way, you can list the British Amateur, the Western amateur, the Walker cup, the Ryder <laughs> cup, that does all right for, for television. <laughs> um, you know, I agree every other year, every year in, in, and, and, and golf fans have to just, they have to promise they're going to watch it because I, I can a TV network wants 11 guys down the stretch tournament tied, anyone making a move. I get that. I, I, I also enjoy watching that. That's a dream of a weekend.
1: It, but, mat, match play it almost doesn't matter who's in it though, right? I mean, you watch exactly. the you watch the NCAA and you don't you might know one out of the the ten players in the finals, right? You know, like a Cole hammer from Texas or one of those type of players. But it, it, largely, the players are we we don't know anything about them. We learn about them because the match play format on TV gives a lot of time for the broadcasters to talk about and build stories up from these players that we largely don't know. And so, so who cares if a, if a quote unquote, no name gets to the finals? I mean, we're going to learn a lot about this person and I I don't know. I, I don't see, I don't see a ton of downside to it. I really don't.
0: You're right. It should be the stories because guess what? Like this is head to head, man to man. We could let, they could have little petty kind of social media slights leading up to them and and you know i by the way i only recently since uh, the bulls documentary finally made it to netflix i binged it recently and one of my takeaways was how personal so many of the matchups were it might have been team on team but jordan's motivations were personal like i would love to see them have not just play match play but have the pros really really take it you know have these things be matches they they want to personally stake the reputation on winning or someone they can't stand losing to. And
1: yeah, I think and, that builds the rivalry, honestly. And, and, or it would create a new one. I mean, you, you just, even if it, even if you don't get those players that you, you ideally want in the finals or the semifinals, you, you build up a sort of, of rivalry to when it does go back to stroke play in the regular events that you just can't, you can't really, uh, you know, build that up any other way. And you know what
0: I hate I, the uh, the modified format for the for the match play, the World Golf Championship that has saved the sort of the, the the Rory who who otherwise might have just, you know, had one bad round and got hot, got played against some, you know, 64 seated player who just made seven birdies and knocked him out. And I, the, the group stage kind of gives you a chance to, you know, atone for one poor round. And I, I, I think that could be emulated. Um I really do. And, you know, maybe it's 128 (laughs) and it's a big event and it, and it quickly comes down. And, um, that would be to me that I would, I, I, it would give the, the event, it's identity.
1: No, no question about that. No question. Let's just quickly discuss Bay area golf, the golf in San Francisco. They're playing this week for the PGA at TPC of Harding park. And but there's a lot of great golf in the San Francisco area. You got the Olympic Club right down the street, you've got San Francisco Golf Club, Lake Merced. Uh, what to you? I've been out there to play a few of them, not enough, but a few. What sort of vibe do you get when you go to San Francisco and get into the golfing scene out there?
0: That it's an embarrassment of riches that they're they have a 52 week playing season. (laughs) that they get to play sweater vest golf in some areas uh, some of the times of the day or frequently and then the ever-changing climate and then moving around the bay area up to Arinda, which is beautiful and meadow club and and you know last year we, we got to play three rounds at sfgc before the regionals and i just it's not fair that that would be the equivalent of like Quaker Ridge being located on 161st and Riverside drive in New York city. Like it's in the city. It's not fair that golf <laughs> can be that good. So stylish in like in a part of the city. It's just uh, to me. And then, you know, I agree with everyone who, who would say that the modern, the sort of renovation to Cal club has made it sort of the, the darling pick of the best course. And I can't disagree with it. It's 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 hilly terrain kind of sets it apart. There's no question. SFGC has the prestige and 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 the championship courses over there at Oak at a, you know at, at Olympic, but uh, you know the the probably the best course is is Cal Club. And congrats to the club for everything they did to sort of renovate it the way they did because it's it is a jewel.
1: It is, and it's a it's a great hang. Uh, another course that we we haven't mentioned, uh, a little south of San Francisco, Pasatiempo. We had one of our Silver Club events there last November. Just a, another jewel in the pocket out there of, of San Francisco golf. And you're right, right. The 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 weather is just it's it's just what you want, unless the fog rolls in and then you can't see your drives go. But if the right. fog goes out, man, I mean, it's like. It's like a dream out there the coastline of California the whole thing it's just a it's a special spot club professionals real quick before we get to this pod with Rob Labritz club professionals we had 3 make the cut last year it uh, at Beth Page Rob Labritz being the low club professional um you know club pros don't get a whole lot of love as far as that goes but this year's been a busy year for the club pros i know in the past on our pods we've mentioned how how busy that the clubs are nowadays in the COVID times, where all the members are using their home club and the play is up, you know, 25, 50 percent at some places, and just through the roof. So kudos to all these club professionals, my brethren out there. I've been a club professional since two thousand seven and a proud one at that. And but uh, we we always uh, want those club professionals to do well. There'll be twenty of them out there, the the top twenty from the 2019 final national points list end up getting into the PGA Championship this year. Unfortunately, the National Club Professional Championship or the, the PGA Professional Championship, they call it now, was not conducted. They tried to conduct it twice at Barton Creek in Texas. And uh, I was on the, the losing end of that one, unfortunately. I was trying to get into that. And we tried to play it. They, the PGA of America, kudos to them. They did everything they possibly could. And the timing was just uh, not up to snuff for him. But anyway, we're going to have a lot of great golf at Harding Park, and looking forward to seeing the the club pros shine out there.
0: Yeah, let me. I got to give a shout out to the club pros. You
1: know, the, the,
0: I love that list of those competing in the event and pulling for them to make the cut, and and I love when I and then like when it's Rob Met section guy. You love love cheering, but cheering for all of them because we all we're all grateful to our our, our head professional, our club pro and that's a class organization they're they're their motivation they're motivated to grow the game and make it and help people understand it and enjoy it that's a that's i can't think of a more worthwhile endeavor than that and and we're always so proud when club pro is as is, is is winning the state open or their section event or qual like when steve scott makes it onto the a pga tour event and it just the uh that's called burgeoning. that's where the membership gets to bask in reflective glory that's where you get to you, you, the pro the pro brings joy brings pride and joy to everybody at the club and you multiply that times all the times you, you see that take place and I was very fortunate at the clubs I worked at that Mike Downey and and Brendan Walsh for example were always very also generous with their time for just quick instruction with juniors I a club pro cannot walk by a kid in a practicing in a bunker or hitting putts without like just volunteering something helpful and useful. It's in, it's against their, it's impossible for them to do that. they they never, they can never stop teaching. And that's a really beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, it's against their DNA. There's no question about that. And the club professionals are the lifeblood of every club out there. They set the tone of, of the whole vibe of the membership and, when you get a great one, you know it, and they really just make you feel warm and welcomed to the club and, and the level of play of some of these club professionals who have the, the day jobs and they're, they're grinding their butt off on their teaching and running events and running the golf shop and the whole, everything they get to do. The PGA professional wears so many hats and uh, kudos to all of them, That all the 20 that are playing out there this week at harding park but let's get to rob labritz right now he is the quintessential the consummate pga professional out of Glen arbor golf club in the met section in new york you're gonna love this talk rob is such a positive guy and just a a a great ambassador to the game that we all love so enjoy this pod from rob labritz all right colin but before we get to this podcast with PGA professional Rob LeBritz, I just wanted to remind you about the Silver Club Golfing Society. Check us out on our website at silverclubgs.com and on the social media sites like Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. So follow up keep an eye on what we're doing we're going to some of the greatest golf courses in the entire country and we have space for you to compete as well so just hop on our site to the drop down menu we're going to places like colorado golf club trinity forest and the old town club architecturally significant venues that you're not going to want to miss our membership is still growing even through this pandemic times So we cannot wait to meet more players out there that want to compete and play these architecturally significant courses, a camaraderie-infused competition, if you will. I'd like to also thank our sponsors of the Silver Club Golfing Society really quickly. The Dunhill brand, Torch Eyewear, Turtleson, the Winston Collection, and the Leith Silver Company, who is the main sponsor of our Silver Club Championship, in the heart of North Carolina in November at Mid Pines and Pine Needles. Thanks to all of our sponsors for everything they do throughout the year for us and our members. Don't forget to subscribe to our ever-growing Silver Club podcast as well and hear some of the greatest players involved in this game. Players like the great Vinny Giles or great teaching minds like Bob Toskey or Boyd Summerhays. We want to connect you to the fabric of this great game that we all love. So hop on there and subscribe today. All right, without further ado, let's get to Rob LeBritz, the 2019 low club professional at the PGA Championship. Let's see how he's preparing for this week at Harding Park. Enjoy the podcast. Harvey Penick had a famous quote that said, you always want to go to dinner with good putters, which goes along the lines of those who have an unwavering positive attitude towards golf as well as life. And our next guest demonstrates that positivity every single day. Welcome PGA professional Rob LeBritz to the Silver Club podcast. Steve,
2: nice to be here today. How are you doing down there in the Carolina area?
1: Uh, We are, uh, we're trying to beat the heat a little bit. I know... You're up in the Mets section in New York, and and I hear everything is just so busy at your club and at all the clubs up there. Yeah, it's
2: been a crazy time. Uh, I think I've seen people that I haven't seen in, in years, fifteen years, uh, that are coming out to use the club. Members, um, you know, that they're playing, they haven't played in fifteen years, and they're coming out and using the club four times a week right now. So it's been uh, it's been really cool, super busy. You know, teaching's going through the roof. Member rounds are through the roof, and it's just a really fun time to watch golf explode.
1: Well, talk a little about your club real quick. I'll give you a quick plug here. Uh, Talk about your great club, Glen Arbor Golf Club. You've been the director of golf there for, shoot, it's getting close to 20 years almost, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I've been there uh, 20 years. I've been the director of golf since 2006. Uh, You know, we're a high-end private club uh, nestled right in Westchester and Bedford Hills. Uh, We've got a uh, seven-acre short game facility. An indoor outdoor teaching facility uh, that we use all year round, and an 18-hole Gary Player signature golf course, and we're known for our good food and wine. So, I don't know what else you, you'd want from a golf club, but um, it sounds pretty good to me.
1: Yeah, that's that sounds really good. I've I've been able to been lucky enough to play there in the past. It is uh, it is a lush golfing playground to say the least. But uh, just for those who don't know you, we've got to just dive in quickly to your very very extensive bio. You've been in the Met PGA for a long, long time. Three times Met PGA Player of the Year. Uh, more impressively, though, you are headed to your seventh PGA Championship at Harding Park. Talk about, about your... You've had such longevity in the game, and you've had you've been the low-club professional two times at the PGA Championship, most recently last year. So has any club professional gone back-to-back as low club professional in the PGA?
2: That's a good question. Uh, something I've never researched, but, um, we're going to try to do it this year. We've, we've got an opportunity to do that. Uh, been working our tails off, uh, for the past, uh, you know, uh, good 47 years to make sure that we can accomplish these goals. So, uh, you know, um, me, I just love to play the game of golf and, um, you know, I, I just enjoy playing it and enjoy coaching it and just being around it. So, uh, you know, they say you find your niche, you find what you love and you, and, and you make a living out of it. And that's kind of what I've done. So very fortunate to keep my body uh, healthy. I work out every day just to try to keep myself strong and fit. Uh, and I think longevity is the uh, is the key for this game, because the longer that you play, the better you're going to get.
1: Take us through a day in the life of Rob Britz and all the, the comings and goings that you have, not only on your own game, but for your club and dealing with your membership and keeping them happy, too.
2: Well, so, you know, I guess in spring, summer, and fall, you know, I have a great deal with my family where they, they understand that they really won't see me in spring, summer, fall. <laughs> uh, no, but, but, you know, all kidding aside, you know, I, I start my days pretty early. Uh, I'm in the gym early. Um, I want to start out my day with a nice workout with my trainer. Um, so I usually get up around, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I'm in the gym by 6, 6.30. Uh, I'll do an hour, hour and a half workout, have some breakfast with my family. Uh, head over to the golf club, check in with my team as the director of golf. I've We've Got a great team over there. Um, just make sure everything's firing on, on all cylinders. Um, you know, start teaching around nine or 10 o'clock and then, um, you know, teach for a good uh, portion through lunch. Um, you know, give another another hour or so to kind of check in with my team again midday and then uh, teach a few more lessons. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, the end of the day usually comes around, but I usually practice until uh, until dark or so you know, go, uh, my family comes out and practices with me in the afternoons and evenings, uh, which is nice. So I'll get a couple hours of practice in and then, um, you know, basically it's nighttime. Uh, my, my, my body's pretty much running on empty and I'll go to sleep and rinse, wash, repeat. So, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice in it, but I, you know, I I want to, uh, I want to uphold the PGA professional, uh, in a, in a manner that, um, that is not what you would, would call a PGA professional. I want to make sure that we you know, we take care of our golf games. That's always been super important to me. Um, I want to be the best PGA player that I can be. And um, I definitely, when I get a chance to play on the bigger stages in these major championships, want to make the cuts and and have respect to the tour players. So, um, you know, I try to maintain that uh, that high standard of living uh, every day of my life.
1: For those who don't know about the Metropolitan PGA section, I was fortunate to be up there and I don't know how fortunate I was to be able to play against you because you whipped my butt most of the time. But I was up there uh, for... not every
2: time. You got you got you got the best part of me a couple of times. Come on, let's not be too. Very tired. very
1: very few, <laughs> very few. But for those who don't know about the Metropolitan PGA and the the really the major background of playing and teaching, talk to everybody about why you chose to be there and and how much the competition in the section pushes your game?
2: Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, coming – the Met, Metropolitan PGA section has always been known throughout the years as the, the playing and teaching section. They've had some great players come out of the, uh, you know, the, the section like Tom Neaporty, uh, the past head pro at Wingfoot. Um, and, I mean, I can go on and on with all the guys that have come out, uh, so many guys that have played, you know, the senior tour and champions tour – um, and PGA tour. It's just that we, we uphold the, you know, the playing and the, and the teaching, you know, very high on the, on the scale of, of what golf professionals should do. Um, and then, um, you know, the boards and the, and the people that are in power, um, have always held our tournaments in high regards. We play for a lot of money we've got some great sponsors. So it's, uh, and we play awesome venues. So, you know, the, the section up here is a section that I would think that other PG professionals would want to get in. If you can, um, you know, get in and break yourself in and, and become a good assistant up here and, and land a head professional job, then uh, it's going to be a job that you're going to work very hard at. Um, you know, you, you have your winters off, but uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the clubs now are building winter teaching facilities. So, so that, that kind of um, shoots your winter off, but you're going to work hard and you're going to play hard. And um, you're going to play against some great players that uh, that still hold playing extremely, extremely high in their list of, of things that they do in their life. So um, that's what the Metropolitan PGA section is all about. Um, we're a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and uh, we just want to spread the word of, of great teaching and playing and, and how to run great operations.
1: And I know you've been highly involved in the – in helping educate and get give a great background to all the assistants and fellow professionals in the section. There's winter teaching seminars, and uh, not only do you play and do you teach and do you uh, run a great club at Glen Arbor, but you're out there mentoring not only your staff, but you're helping the whole section uh, many times in, in the education of you know, whether it's how to play better or how to organize your game or your day. Talk a little about about your dedication to that and what that means to you.
2: Yeah I mean I you know one of the reasons why I I keep playing at such a high level is obviously I love it but every time I get a chance to compete in major championships I get a chance to to uh, to play with the best players in the world whether it be a practice round or or you know a competitive round or after making the cut. So the things that I learn that way Uh, you know, I'm constantly learning as well. I mean, I'm 49 years old. I, I still want to compete hard, but you know, every time I go out there, um, I'm competing as hard as I can, but I'm also learning and listening to coaches I'm listening to players. I'm listening to caddies. So, you know, it's, it's, so all this information that I, that I have sort of at my fingertips, when I get a chance to compete, I love to bring back and share with the people who don't get a chance to do that. So at least they understand, you know, what it is we're doing out there or some, little tricks or, or some better way to prepare yourself, or I just want the, the young assistants and, and the assistants who are coming up in the, in the section and, and other people who aren't exposed to it to have the accessibility to that type of information. Um, I know as a kid, when I was growing up, I would have loved to have access to all that. Um, so I had to learn it the hard way and go out there and do it myself. But um, it's great to share information, um, to broaden people's uh, education and um, just make them better players. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's dear to my heart and I, I, love every second of it.
1: All right. Well, let's, let's, let's go with that for a second. Let's, let's give us uh, all of our listeners at the silver club podcast really are, are people that are, that are tied into the game. They love the game, whether it's the history of the game or playing great golf courses or understanding how to play better at, at the type of level that you like to play at and like to teach at. But, uh, what are some, give me a, give us a story of one of the the big events that you've played in and something you really picked up on from one of the best players in the world that you got to hang out with or observe.
2: Okay. Um, Let's see here. Well, I've hit the first tee ball of a a major championship twice. So the first person to come out in the first tee um, hit the first guy in the group. Uh, And, you know, people are worried about being on their first tee of their, you know, of their club and teeing off in front of people. Right. Um, you know, I don't think there's a, a bigger stage than, than teeing off first in a major championship. So those are the type of things that I can bring, you know, to the table to just help people through how to breathe, how to, how, what to think about, you know, how to go through your routine, whatever it is that, that gives them angst either on the first tee. And then also I've had some great matches, you know, I had the uh, 2000, I think it was 16 or so, or, or 13. I had a nice match with uh, Keegan Bradley and Dustin Johnson, Jason Duffner. <laughs> and we were playing just a, just a regular, you know, practice round out there on Tuesday. And, and we were playing close out, And I watched how simple it was for Dustin Johnson to shoot 65 uh, at Oak Hill, you know. Uh, and watched how easy it was for Jason Dufner to struggle in the practice round. And he goes out and wins the tournament.
1: Yeah, that so, was 2013, right? Right, 2013,
2: right. yeah. So, you know, it's, those things are the type of things that, you know, here's a guy who, who was really struggling in the practice round and, you know, visibly upset. And, and, you know, two days later, he goes out and he wins the tournament. So, you know, it really, I guess for all the listeners, it's, you know, you can't really go by, you kind of just control the one thing that you have, which is, which is the present moment. You can't do anything about the past. And if you're worried about the future, it's just wasted emotion. So, you know, do what you do best, which is be in the present, enjoy every second of it and don't let the things that affect you or you've done in the past or the things that might happen in the future, because you can't tell what's going to happen, affect you. Um, I guess that's the biggest thing because I, you know, watching these guys just go around, they're just hitting golf shots. They're not, uh, they're not getting out there. They're not stressing out over, you know, what they're, what they're doing, what they're, they get out there and the, right. the tour veterans are just hitting golf shots. Uh, and if they don't hit great, you know what? They've got great short games to get it up and down. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of stress on these guys um, and, and playing for, you know, three to $5 million each week is, is pretty, <laughs> pretty fun too, right? You know, you, you string four sixties uh, together and you're making a bucket of cash. So uh, there shouldn't be a lot of stress when it comes to golf. And if you can learn that, then uh, you're going to be one up on everybody else because the self negative talk starts quick and it bleeds in you like a cancer. And you don't want to ever let that happen because once it starts, it's hard to get out of there, I can
1: promise you. I was lucky enough to do some coverage for that PGA Championship last year at Beth Page. I, I got to get out there and watch you a little bit. I had a little time, and, and I totally observed exactly what you just said about enjoying the moment. And you did hit that first tee shot last year, and you ended up being the low-club professional. You got to stand next to Brooks Kepka with your trophy next to his trophy and, <laughs> and and that whole thing. But But one thing that I really... I observed that was really unique that you, and I want to know why you did it and, and maybe what you took from it. You had your cell phone out there a lot <laughs> and, and on the tees, you know, there, there was a weight, you were playing with Pat Perez. I know in the final round and, and you and Pat, you guys play warp speed. You guys are quick, both of you. So it's almost like a, a single person and you're out there on the tees. What, what sort of things were you capturing and have you have you looked back on them uh, over over the last year or so
2: yeah so i mean i only i i don't know if you saw me take my phone out more than once i, I think i took it out on the 18th hole um you know it, it, i may have I, and i don't remember to be honest but i, I definitely remember. you're in the zone you're in the zone hole. i was in the, definitely in the zone but i remember taking it out on 18 when i was walking up 18 and just looking at the grandstands chock full of people and, you know, a member of mine a long time ago um, who passed away uh, in, a, in, a, in a tragic accident, uh, you know, I always think about this guy, Robbie Rissman, um, you know, my first major in 2002, he he put a bottle of champagne on my desk and he said, you know, he said, congratulations on qualifying for your first major. He goes, but but I want you to look around every once in a while and just enjoy the ride. And, and that was written in a card and it stuck with me and it's inscribed in every yardage book that i've ever had to the yardage book to this day and Mm. and what's on the inner thing of my is my my wife's name my daughter's name my son's name and we have one more expecting we have one more on the way oh boy so so i got to change yardage books but but inscribed on that is you know look around every once in a while uh but but sit back and enjoy the ride and that's words that i've lived by since 2002 since he put that bottle of champagne on my desk and God bless his soul. It's the way I've, I've lived my life. And to this day, you know, I I tell I still tell everybody about that story. So that's one of the things that really just, just stuck with me. And, um, you know, you only go around once. So I want to capture as many moments. I'm a, I'm a PGA professional. I'm not a tour player. So anytime you get yourself into that arena, oh, my gosh, I want to have things to draw on and look at and, and just remind myself of why I'm here and, and, and what I can do. Uh, positive reinforcement, like you said in the beginning of the show.
1: No, uh, it's a it's a great perspective, and I, I got to say that the golf course that you played last year, Beth Page Black, you have such an affinity with that golf course. Uh, ex- explain some of the. You you won the state open there, New York State Open there, three times, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. probably were runner up a couple other times, I, I know. And you're you you played lo- the
2: last hole last year to give it away, unfortunately. <laughs> Went to a playoff and lost, but yeah, it's
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, you had you had, yeah, you had a good experience earlier in the year at the at the PGA championship, but uh, um, but yeah, the, the that golf course, the Beth Page Black, what what strikes you so great about that course that you just love so much? You
2: know, it's a ball strikers golf course, you, you've got to keep it in the fairway, it's it's pretty long now. We don't play it as long you know, during the uh, state open, as we do during the PGA championship, obviously. But, um, you know, if you hit it in the fairway, you're going to have, and I'm still pretty long for 49. I can get it out there over 300, carry the ball over 293. So, you know, I can still hit it pretty good for, for my size and my age. Um, and if you can get it in the fairway, you're going to have opportunities to get the club, the ball close to the hole. If you don't hit it in the fairway, you're going to have to wedge out, and then you're going to have another long shot into the hole. So, <laughs> you know, the greens are pretty benign. Um, I've played over, I guess now almost 80 rounds of competitive golf on that golf course. Right. So I'm, I'm very familiar with it. Uh, and just comfortable out there. I mean, I, I grew up on a public golf course. Um, I, I love the public arena. I love, I mean, I, I'm a public guy, even though I run a private club, I'm a, I'm a public guy. So it's like, you know, I just, I just feel comfortable out there and, um, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you just got to know when to kind of attack it and when to just kind of sit back and say, Okay. Thanks for that double bogey. I'll get you back. You know, <laughs> it happens. It,
1: it, it is It is a challenging track out there, no no doubt. Uh, it, being comfortable on the golf course, you really, you need a good team behind you. And I know uh, on your bag has always been a steady, a steady face in Todd Luigi. Uh, yes. And uh, ha- how lucky are you to be able to have I mean, you essentially have a tour caddy out there in all of your Met PGA events, and he gets out there and caddies for you in these major championships as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, Todd and I met 11 years ago. We met at Piping Rock Club after our section championship, and I was going through a lot of caddies at the time. I couldn't quite find one. I mean, you know, listen, you're playing in section events. It's hard to get a full-time guy because, you know, (laughs) the money's not quite what the (laughs) PGA Tour is, right? (laughs) And, you know, what are you going to pay? A guy $150 a round or something? So, uh, we've got a nice deal where I take care of him, give him good percentages, and, and we've been together for now 11 years and, and we've, we've had a lot of wins. Uh, and I just trust Todd. You know, it was a, it was a learning process. Todd was, uh, was a newer caddy when we started working together. So there was some training going on between, between what I wanted and, and what he wanted to do. And, and, uh, but we're on the same page. Uh, he's a very close friend. He's a great caddy. He's a great uh, confidant for being out there, retired police officer. And he's never been late, He'd ever been late in eleven years. Uh, he always shows up early and, and goes above and beyond. So uh, I'm very lucky to have Todd, and uh, I'll take him to uh, to every major that I play. We have we have visions of grandeur of playing some Champions Tour events together. So um, yeah, he's he's my guy, and he's going to be on my bag for as long as he wants to be.
1: You you mentioned you just turned 49 this the end of May this year, and you you had visions of going to Champions Tour qualifying school, and that has with all of the goings on in the world that has been changed a bit, but uh, I'm sure you'll still try to push on and, you know, a little over a year from now and, and give it a shot when you can. Right.
2: Yeah, that was uh it was sort of like my bonus try. I had to turn 50 by June 1st of 2021. And my, my birthday uh, fell and falls on May 31st. So I had like a bonus try to get out there, which was cool, which I was looking forward to, but obviously, you know, that didn't happen, but yeah. So it just gives me another year and a half to actually get my body even stronger, get more prepared. And, um, you know, just go out there and, and get, get stronger and be more prepared. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. So. Right.
1: Right. Do you think you'll, you'll try some Monday qualifiers maybe? Are you able to get in those or are those limited on the champions tour or? So you have to go through the Q
2: school. Uh, and if you get one of the five cards you you play on the, the full year, if you don't finish in the top five, and I think you finish in the top 30, uh, I could be mistaken by the number. I'll have to look again you get an associate's card, which allows you to go into those Monday qualifiers. So for me, definitely, I would, um, depending on where I finished in the Q school, uh, would definitely give those Monday qualifiers a shot. Because, you know, once you get into an event, there's no cut, it's three rounds. Yeah,
1: that's great. You just get
2: some some tournament rollings and and see what happens. And uh, my club is uh, 100% behind me, so. Very lucky in that
1: aspect. You can rest assured uh, every night when you're away from away from the club, and you know that it's it's well taken care of. That's uh, that's a big load off your your chest, no doubt. Uh, recently, I had the number two ranked amateur player in the world, Ricky Castillo, on the podcast, and I asked him this question that I'll ask you: the competitive drive—is it something that you learn? Is it something that's just born within you? Where does your competitive drive come from? You think?
2: Oh man, you're going to dive into some serious psychological stuff that yes, I spent years. Yes, let's do it. Hundreds of dollars, thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> in trying to figure out. Um, no, you know, I grew up a little bit differently than everybody else, uh, and I don't want to be a downer on this podcast, but grew up with an alcoholic father. You know, wasn't the nicest guy when when he was around. We lived on a golf course in Connecticut. Uh, found his golf clubs in the garage. And, um, when he was drinking, I just didn't want to be there. So, uh, I, I, I fell and I, you know, I thank God he was an alcoholic, I guess, because I don't know if I ever would have driven myself to the golf course like that, but, but I found a love for the game of, of just a, a, pure passion. I, I, I couldn't get enough of it before school. I'd go before I took the bus at six in the morning, uh, after school, as soon as I got off myself and uh, fast Eddie Fernandez would get out and we'd just play golf until, until it was dark. And we do our homework and rinse, rinse, wash, repeat. So we became pretty competitive that way, um, kind of pushing each other. Mm -hmm. And then we started just playing tournaments. And you just get this, you know, I have this, I just have this feeling in my belly that I just want to step on people's faces sometimes. Uh, (laughs) With a nice way, you know, with a nice way. I guess that would be my competitive side in me. But I'll I'll never, you know, I'll never be rude or mean, but I'll do it with a smile. But internally, I want to beat you. I want to beat you hard, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I, I don't want you to really want to be able to play golf against me again, because I want to take you down. So, but that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the my, internal that, part of me.
1: Right. Right. No, that's yeah. N- nice guy. Nice guy on the outside. Uh, brutally tough guy on the inside. And, uh, uh, just on, the golf,
2: just on, the, on, on the, the golf course. On the, on the,
1: on the, on the golf course. Yes. Let me, let me clarify that for sure. Um, you, you talk about all the lessons that you teach your membership. How many lessons do you give in an average week or an average year? And what sort of teaching philosophy do you bring? And maybe you carry the things that you learn at these major championships and all these and that you are able to transfer to your students?
2: Yeah, so I coach uh, anywhere between 1000 and 1400 hours a year. Um, And, um, you know, I start from the hole and work backwards. Um, you know, I, it's one of those things where I, I want people to really tidy up the short games, learn how to chip, putt, pitch, learn that motion, uh, and I'll work backwards from there. And then when uh when I do work backwards from, from there, I work from the ground up. So I want to make sure that your lower body is nice and stable, doing the right things. And then um, you know, you can build on a swing from a putting stroke. Putting stroke turns into a chipping stroke, chipping stroke turns into a pitching stroke, pitching stroke turns into a half a swing, a half swing turns into three-quarter swing, a three-quarter swing turns into a full swing. So you can kind of, that's the way I base my philosophy on. Everybody's got different uh, ways of getting the ball in the hole. If you can do it uh, in, a, in a way over and over and over and over, and you know where that ball is going and you know your swing, that's great. Um, work on your short game. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm one of those guys who I want to coach you around the course. I want to teach you how to play. Uh, I'll teach you how to go. I'll teach you how to swing too if you want to. We'll talk about philosophies yeah. and what the club should do, and what the body should do but I also understand, um, you know, the fitness level of it and, you know, how the body works uh, motions I'm a TPI certified guy. So, um, you know, I bring all of that stuff to the table to become an all around coach. Uh, You know, I teach, you know, great young amateurs to professionals to uh, to people just picking up the game. So I love every minute of it because the only kind of student that I want is somebody who really wants to learn. Um, And if I tell you something that doesn't make sense, ask me, because uh, if it doesn't make sense, then it's probably wrong. And I generally will never tell you anything that doesn't make sense. So um, you know I base my my philosophy on that whole backwards, and uh, we'll build you a game. It's not uh, it's not as hard as people think if you start with the proper fundamentals.
1: Bryson Dechambeau, what is mm-hmm. what's your take on what he has done? And it, it was that would that be something that that you would advocate that a, a up and coming player that you teach who's a collegiate player or a early professional? I mean, what, what's your take on everything he's done to build his strength and his speed really in, in a pretty short amount of time? It looks like.
2: Yeah. I mean, what's he in his mid 20s, 25? Yeah.
1: No kids, no fam, no wife. He's just golf, golf, golf. Right.
2: Yeah, which is, you know, which is, which is great. I mean, you know, listen, the guy's hitting it really far. He's probably playing the best out of anybody in the world right now. I mean, he's, he's finishing up in the top five to top 10 because he's hitting it so far. Um, you know, it's one of those things where obviously he's, he's figuring out some things with the lengths of clubs and he's kind of a tinkerer. Uh, and, um, you know, he's, he's definitely put on some pounds. I don't know Bryson uh, personally at all. So I, I couldn't give you, you know, any sort of, Uh, opinion except for what I see and what I read in the media Um, but it looks like he's killing the ball I don't know how long you can you can go through training like that um, and keep that sort of intensity up for you know going into your 30s and going into your 40s and 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 your body holding up I mean your body's like a machine Uh, you know parts wear out
1: um, (laughs) especially
2: when you when you stress them out a lot yeah so you know in my opinion, I mean, listen, he's playing great golf. So I I would never knock a guy that's playing great golf. I just hope that his body uh, holds up under all the training that he's doing. And, you know, your body's supposed to be the way your body's supposed to be. Um, I'm a six foot, you know, 186 pound man, right? Um, If I was six feet and weighed 215 pounds, that wouldn't be in my DNA. So something's going to give, but uh, you know, to each his own, uh, He's making millions of dollars, so maybe he wants to get in the game for another five years and make a couple hundred million, and then get out of the game. I, I don't know. So yeah,
1: right, uh, <laughs> right. It might <laughs> but, be, a, yeah, it could be a short term sort of, uh, sort of pathway. And but hey, it'll. Uh, he, he's seeing some major gains with it right now, and that's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy to behold. And maybe you'll be be paired against him and with him, out at Harding Park coming up. And let's uh, let's discuss that a little bit. The cool. PGA Championship, you've obviously had, uh, like we've mentioned earlier, uh, in this pod, you've you've spent uh, six times you've played in the PGA Championship. This will be your seventh. Are, are nerves still a factor when you get out there and play? Or how, how, how do you think you're going to approach this PGA compared to others? Or give us your thoughts with that.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know... Nerves—I call it excitement. Really, you know, I, everybody gets nervous. I guess nervous is just a just an emotion. What you what mm-hmm. you put on? I get excited out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, I can feel the butterflies. I get to the first tee, get excited. Um, but I I know what that feels like now. I embrace it. I love that feeling. It's why I play. Um, you know, I don't. I, I'm definitely not scared of those emotions at all. So, um, you know, I, will I be nervous? Yes. Uh, will I love it? Yes. Um, and will it intimidate me? No. I've gotten I've gotten you know older I've tried to reach out to some of the top players on the planet if Tiger woods is listening would love to play a practice around with you uh, we love to play with Brooks Kepka Webb Simpson uh, Justin Thomas I mean any, any of you guys who want to play with a club pro who'll give you a pretty good games share some stories uh, I'm ready yeah I uh, know they, they all they all they all
1: listen they definitely they definitely <laughs> listen to the silver Club Pod all of them
2: yeah <laughs> hey you never know right you know so but um, yeah, so I'm going to go out there and I'd love, I'd love to play some practice rounds with, with some of the guys who are playing some of their best golf right now um, to just kind of get in their brains and see what they're doing uh, and just get some banter with them. And then, um, you know, just go out there and just try to attack Harding the best I can, make more birdies than bogeys and, and have a great time while I'm making each swing. I, I know that I've prepared myself well over the past uh, few months and I'll, I'll continue for the next week or so to, to really dial in and even
1: more. Have you played at Harding Park before? No, I never have. I've uh, been
2: out in the Bay Area, played a few other golf courses, but I've uh, never played Hardy Park.
1: No fans this year at the PGA <laughs> no. like like we've seen on the PGA Tour recently. That may that may change the dynamic a little bit. Maybe maybe it changes the the outlook. I know maybe the energy might be a little bit different for sure. Yeah,
2: I you know, I don't see how how the guys like the Rorys and the and the Tigers are going out there and feeling really pumped up when they're not you know, followed by thousands and thousands of people. I, I guess it's got to be um, a different experience, but I'm excited to see what that difference is. I mean, played in six of them, and, I, and you know, you, you play in six when you see a lot of people. Uh, you're <laughs> signing autographs, you're doing all sorts of fun stuff. It's it's a pretty cool experience, right? But to go out there with nobody and uh, just play against the golf course, it's almost going to be like we're playing in our section event. So um, you know, we'll go out there, and you know, we're used to not having anybody really watch us. Yeah. You might have you know 30 people watching the end of a state open or something but uh you know uh, it'll be great to get out there and see what that difference is and you know uh i'm sure as heck motivated you know by the uh by the 1.9 million possible dollars at the end of that uh four days so uh we'll see what happens you
1: know <laughs> yeah, before we let you go uh, i just want to ask you a couple questions about your greatest experience on the golf course it could be at a tournament it could be just playing a, a casual round, uh, and then the best shot you ever hit. So best experience first.
2: Well, best experience, um, you know, this goes back a ways, uh, probably to 1997. Actually, it was the week my dad passed away. Uh, even though my dad, you know, was a – we talked about it a little earlier. Mm-hmm. It was tough. When he wasn't drinking, he was the man. He was a great guy. You uh, I know, I, to this day, I miss him uh, mm-hmm. dearly. But he passed away on a Monday of brain cancer. And um, I was uh, playing the Golden Bear Tour back back at the time, and it was a uh, I was competing in a 36 hole event. Uh, actually, this was a 54 hole event, and um, it was uh, one of these weeks where my sister was in town, my brother was in town, my mom, uh, and some other people And I and I actually ended up winning the tournament that week um, in a playoff against a, a guy who I haven't seen in a lot of years by the name of R.J. Nakashi, and. Um, the playoff went three extra holes. Uh, I, don't, I didn't make a bogey in the final round. Um, first shot that I hit was a little left. I hit it over the green uh, for my second shot. It was a par four, Hammett Creek. Uh, and now I was feeling a little nervous because I, I think I'd hit every green up until that point. Um, I chunk a chip. I hit it about three feet. I had this impossible up and down and hold the shot for, my, for this par. <laughs> he misses the birdie putt. We go on the next hole. We both make par. And then I birdied the third you know, hole to, to win the championship in a wow. playoff. And, you know, my family was there and I felt my dad's presence being there, you know, throughout that whole thing. So, I mean, I've had a lot of experiences in my life. That's one I'll never, ever forget. Um, I know he, he wanted me to succeed more than anybody. Um, you know, he, he was there following me for all my rounds and uh, you know, for him to, to not be able to see that, but to see it, uh, in another way was, was probably one of the most special moments of my life. Wow. Um, the, uh,
1: well, before we get to the, the, the best shot you hit, I remember we, we were talking about another, I think it was a golden bear tour event that you were leading, but you never finished <laughs> to explain, yeah. ex- explain this. This would maybe the, this, this story really stuck in my head. Tell our listeners about this one.
2: Oh, so we were playing a, uh, golden, golden bear tour event. Uh, and my caddy at the time, this was in 2005, uh, Patrick, uh, and I had planned this fishing trip up to Northern Manitoba and, um, it was, we, we, we planned this trip about six or seven months in advance or a year in advance, whatever it was, we prepaid this thing. There were private flights. So it cost me a minute, right? So we get into this tournament uh, we're playing at my lakes down in west palm beach florida and we're, we're running through rain delays i teed off early but we had like three or four rain delays and we had to catch a flight out of fort lauderdale so you know i just told you know patrick i said listen after this rain delay let's just let's just bag it uh rain delay comes out i go eagle birdie birdie you know par birdie or something like that <laughs> And i find myself with like a four or five shall lead. i don't even know right the guy's like i'll never forget rick whitfield and at the time was just we had to catch this flight. If we didn't catch the flight, the whole trip was going to be done. So Patrick, Patrick my caddy, he's like, "Well, listen, dude, I got to go. I got to drop your bag." He goes, Are "You come with me or not?" And oh my God, I said I picked up my golf ball <laughs> and, and left the golf course. I was playing with Mark ternessa at the time too. I think <laughs> Mark will probably still remember this uh, this, this story. But um, they couldn't believe that I was going to pick the ball up to leave to go fishing. And yes, I picked the ball up. To, we caught our flight. We just got on the flight. This was before all the crazy stuff happened, and and uh, and had a great uh, fishing trip up in northern Manitoba where we were tired of catching. We caught so many fish. Wow! Is it something I do again? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's things that you do when you're when you're young and you think you got your whole life in front of you. Uh, I would have finished the round had it been the forty-nine-year-old me. No.
1: <laughs> Led to a great story, though, that you'll <laughs> never ever forget, and neither will the people who listen to it. <laughs> the, the The best shot you ever hit in a certain situation.
2: Ah, you know that one. Come on, that was the uh, the shot to get into the PGA Championship. Oh, I the was, one that
1: was uh, on the the top ten. Was it number one play on SportsCenter, or where did it, yep. where did it land on there?
2: Yeah, it landed up to be number one play on SportsCenter. Um, that night it was, uh, that was a trying week, Steve, that was my, my wife was seven months, seven months pregnant with our, with our daughter, Ryan now who's six, be seven this year. Um, she was hospitalized when we went out there and her mom and dad decided to come out with us, um, just so I could kind of focus. And, and it was a great thing that they were there, uh, because, you know, she got rushed to the hospital, with huge stomach problems, wow. which we thought we were losing the baby. Uh, it turned out that it wasn't, she was just severely dehydrated but spent, you know, three or four days in the hospital where she had to get liquidated with fluids and all that stuff. So she comes out, um, you know, in the final round and, or, or it was the third round. I think she, she walked like nine holes with me. And as soon as I, she ended up leaving me after a few holes. And I went, I went double, triple, double or something. It was, it was some bad stretch of holes where I wound myself up in a playoff. Okay uh the final round I played decent the final round i just think i shot even par or whatever or one under and got it to his playoff yeah so we're on the second hole of the playoff i think there were six guys uh and the two guys i think danny Valen and one other gentleman birdied the first hole uh and i had brian cole was out there he was the head golf pro up at Glen arbor and i was the director mm-hmm. of golf at the time so he was out there commentating on it and i drove it into the left bunker uh you know i didn't hit a good shot of the bunker it was the ball was kind of sitting down and I had 95 yards and I'll never forget golf channels right there. And, and it, it's funny, my brain went to our teaching facility where I hit from a hundred yards and I hit balls off the top of my range cart. So I'll stand at a little spot in our teaching team and I, and I bang hundred yard wedges off the range cart. So I immediately just kind of thought, I was like, wow, 95 yards. I said, this is kind of close to the, uh, the hundred yards that I hit and put this nice little swing on this 52 degree wedge and just hit it perfect and it took one hop landed and went in the hole and uh you know sports center caught it which was kind of cool and uh you know it it landed me a spot in the pga championship there in 2013 so uh that's one that i'll never forget and um yeah that was pretty cool
1: oh i wish i could show that on the podcast right now uh but uh uh, unfortunately no no video to be shown on the podcast but where where can our listeners find you rob and can they take a lesson from you and tell, tell us where they can find you
2: sure uh so you can reach out to me i'm on social media i've got my own website uh and it's L A B R I T dot com you can also reach me on instagram robbritz golf twitter robbritz golf linkedin Rob uh get in touch with me anyway my website's probably the easiest Um, you can just go to the contact information and just click it right on. It'll send a, send an email to me. I'd love to see golfers, any new golfers, any golfers, any, any type of golfer. Um, I can help you. I've been doing this a long time, 30 years, uh, coaching now, 30 years. So, uh, I love to talk golf. Um, I love to help people with their games. I'm allowed to teach non-members at Glen Arbor right now. There's probably a three or four week, uh, you know, wait time to get on my schedule um, so, you know, if you want to do something in the next, you know, four or five weeks, just, just make sure you can book it four or five weeks out. And then, uh, I promise you the, uh, the coaching that you'll 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 get will be uh, something that you've never experienced before, and you will be a better player at the end of it. I can promise you that.
1: Well, I, I I might come up there and take a lesson from you if I can, real quick. <laughs> you've been
2: threatening for years, Steve. I haven't seen you yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I may have to. I'm going to have to do it now. But uh, your your lesson book's going to be really full after your your PGA Championship great play that we're going to watch you, and uh, we can't wait to see you towards the top of the leaderboard there, Rob. Best of luck out there at Harding Park, and uh, safe travels out there to San Francisco, all the way across the country.
2: Thank you, Steve. Pleasure being on your podcast. I appreciate the time. You got the greatest voice in the uh, in the game, and uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, brother. Thank Lots you. Lots of love coming at you.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate your time.